come this morning to the very end of Paul's letter to the Galatians. I'm going to read verses 11 through 18, and I would ask you to stand as you're able for the reading of God's Word. Let's stand together. And then when I have finished reading, I'm going to say, this is the Word of the Lord, and we're going to respond, thanks be to God. Galatians chapter 6, beginning with verse 11. See what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Amen. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm so, sorry. Okay, thank you. Have, have a seat. You may be seated. I'm so sorry. This is the word of the Lord. Um, and friends, it is, a, it is a good word from the Lord that we have here. We come to the very end of the text that we've been studying for a year and a half now. We started in January of 2018. And we're here at the closing of the letter, and the Apostle Paul makes a point emphatically here, and that point is that one of the greatest dangers to true Christianity is false Christianity, and we who would be disciples of our Lord Jesus must be careful to distinguish between the two. I'll say that again. One of the greatest dangers to true Christianity is false Christianity. And we who would be disciples of our Lord Jesus must be careful to distinguish between the two. As I said, we're coming to the very end of Paul's letter to the Galatians here. And Paul often ends his letters with a greeting or details about his traveling or about his life. There's a a personal note at the end of the letter. And that is not the case here in Galatians. Instead of turning to personal things, Uh, Paul very emphatically returns to the the point that he's been making, and he summarizes it in a way that is is clear and to the point. He takes a a final stab at the heart of the matter, which makes sense, I think, in the context of Galatians. You all remember the occasion for this letter. The stakes are high. The Apostle Paul had been preaching. The Apostle Paul started the churches in Galatia there when he came with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that Jesus himself taught, which is that sinners, all people, Jew, Gentile alike, they are justified, made acceptable before God by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. It's only by God's grace that anybody is made acceptable to him. And that grace is only received through faith only in Jesus Christ and in no other way. That's the gospel that Paul preached to them, the true gospel. And you remember, of course, that after Paul left those churches and continued on his missionary journeys, 
false teachers came in with a false message, a corrupted version of the gospel, began to preach a corrupted, false Christianity. One that said that the, the sacrifice of Jesus was not enough. But in fact, we must supplement His sacrifice with our own works and submitting to the law. It is, it is Christ's sacrifice and our works together that would make us pleasing to God. And Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians as sort of a, sort of a rescue mission. He knows that the gospel is being corrupted there. He knows that some of those beloved saints that he himself preached to, they are being dissuaded and they are turning away from the true gospel. He knows the true gospel is on the line here and eternal souls are with it. So he is making this rescue attempt with this letter. Now, those of you who've been studying it, we've been here for the past year and a half. He's made that case in a variety of ways. Then he's addressed a major objection. You know, people would say, well, Paul, if, if salvation is not according to our works at all, but only by faith, then you know, people will just live as they please. They'll live unrighteous lives. And Paul says, no, the furthest thing from the case. If people turn to Jesus Christ and are born again, they will bear the fruit of the Spirit and bear one another's burdens. Paul has been defending the gospel and explaining the way that it works out in their lives. And then here he ends his letter with a, a final push summarizing the major point he's making, restating his case in clear and emphatic ter terms. And he wants to make it very clear. That's obvious. You look at verse 11 here. He begins this section by saying, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Many of you are aware that at this time, you know, Paul uh, would have been writing through a, uh, a scribe, through a clerk, somebody that he would have been dictating a letter and somebody else would have been writing it down for him. But here, evidently for emphasis, Paul takes the stylus himself and begins to write these closing words in his own hand, evidently in large letters, in, in bold letters to make it clear the point that he wants to make to them. Paul is not just an apostle fulfilling his duties in caring for the church. Paul is pleading with these saints that they would turn back from this corrupted gospel, turn back from a corrupted Christianity, and once again walk in the way of truth. And I make that point, friends, because it's important, I think, that we recognize that we are not looking at this text simply because it is our duty to finish the letter that we've started and we need to finish and we need to check all the dots and hit every verse, but rather the Spirit of God has something to say to us by His Word. A case to plead with us. And we should listen. The copy you have in front of you, the font of these verses is the same as the previous ones, but evidently the letter that Paul wrote, it was especially large at this point to highlight what he was going to say. And what was he saying with those large letters? He was calling them to recognize what Christianity really is and what it isn't and to look for the difference. I want to point out to you with the next few minutes here three differences between true and false Christianity. Three marks that set true from corrupted Christianity apart from one another. And that will be our outline. These three differences. The first one is that false Christianity 
makes a priority of the external, while true Christianity makes a priority of the internal. False Christianity makes a priority. The emphasis is on the external, whereas true Christianity, what matters is the internal. These folks who came in preaching a false gospel there in Galatia, you know, we've called them the Judaizers, because they were seeking to bring those Christians in Galatia back under the Old Testament law of Moses in order to justify themselves before God. They were trying to turn, make them Jewish in that way. And especially in regard to circumcision. Paul mentioned circumcision several times in our verses here. He's returned to it over and over again in the letter. In some ways it is symbolic of the whole law. But we see here in verse 13 that it was not just symbolic of the whole law, but really this issue of circumcision was what was of great concern to the Judaizers and not much else. Look at verse 13. For even those who are circumcised, referring to these folks, do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh or in, in that circumcision that they have enforced upon you. Even these folks who make such a big deal of this sign, they have no desire to actually keep the law themselves and live with lives submitted to the law of God. Rather, they are primarily interested in just the sign. You remember from the very beginning, circumcision was a sign of obedience to God, covenant submission to God. Even from Abraham, when it was first introduced in the Scriptures, it was an, an outward sign of what was supposed to be ultimately an inward reality, a heart submitted to God and fellowship with Him. That's why Deuteronomy chapter 30, Romans chapter 2, and various places in Romans, Paul speaks of circumcision of the heart. It was always that way to be a sign of an internal reality. These Judaizers, they, they cared only about the sign, though, about the flesh, about the external, and not about the heart. The sign and not the internal reality that it was supposed to indicate. I'll illustrate this for you in a way. Uh, some of you know that for a few years, a while back, I was uh, one of the chaplains for the Roanoke City Fire Department. And uh, during that time when I was a chaplain, I, I would sometimes uh, attend uh, trainings that the fire department would do. And the fire department really loved for me to dress up in fireman's gear. They had, they had stuff, you know, in the, in the closet there. Uh, I'm sure they, they still do this, Nick, right? They, yeah, they, the chaplain would come and they put the boots on him and put the pants on him and put the jacket and the, and the helmet with the shield and the, the gloves, and, uh, you know, I would, I would look like a fireman. And they would all be standing there, and all these guys that had been through all the training, and it is intensive training, and there I was standing with them, looking just like them, but I was not one of them, right? Because even though I had the jacket on and the helmet on and the boots on and the pants on, if you put me in a burning building, I would die. Right? I did not know what was, I did not have the training. I was not a fireman, though I had the external marks of a fireman. And sometimes, I'll confess to you, being there around all those guys and wearing that gear, in the moment, that was all I cared about. I looked like one. And that was pretty cool, right? <laughs> I would forget that I did not have the training to be an actual firefighter. 
in a sense, that's what the Judaizers were doing. They were caring about the external appearance and not the heart of it. They were caring about the marks, the signs that indicated something about you, even if that thing were not actually the reality. Now contrast this with what the Apostle Paul says is important. Look at verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. You see what Paul's saying. The marks, the external signs, they are not what matters in the end. It is the internal reality. It is the new creation in the human heart. It is what we refer to as the, the new birth, to be born again. What the Lord Jesus speaks to Nicodemus about in John chapter 3. Whatever's on the outside, whatever kind of gear you might have on, what's actually gone on in the heart? Are you a person who has heard the gospel message, heard the truth about the living God who is really there, have seen in your own life your sin against Him, your rebellion against Him, your failure to love Him and worship Him as you ought, and have recognized that you have no business being in His favor, and yet believe the truth that He sent His own Son that Jesus Christ, who is God Himself, came and walked on the earth and the flesh and took the guilt, the weight of sin for His people on His shoulders and went to the cross and suffered for it, suffered as a substitute, died for our sin in order that we, who have no business being blessed by God, yet might be received as true sons and daughters in Christ's name. To hear that message to really believe that to be the truth and to set the heart in trust upon that Jesus Christ who died and rose. That transformation of the mind and heart wrought really by the Spirit of God is a new creation. To be somebody new who thinks differently, who desires differently, who sees the universe and God and themselves differently what the Scriptures are referring to as to be born again. To be created all over again. A new creation. Really at home in the age to come. Paul says, that's what matters. To have seen the truth, to have believed, and to have had that fundamental change of heart and mind. False Christianity cares about the externals only. The appearances but true Christianity knows that only the internal reality is what matters in the end. When all is stripped away, the new creation is what is of significance. Now, friends, this has always been a struggle among God's people with this kind of corruption, this externalism versus a true uh, change of heart. From all the way back uh, in Genesis chapter 4, this is, this is part of the issue with Cain and Abel, right? I mean, Cain goes through the motions with the sacrifice, but it is not with faith. In Isaiah 29, uh, the prophet uh, calls the people who, who they worship God, they acknowledge Him with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. And the Lord Jesus Christ quotes that passage in Mark chapter 7 in speaking of the people in His day. And here in Paul's day, the same issue is there. An emphasis on what is external 
to the neglect of what is internal. And you, those of you that know church history, you know this has always been an issue in the church. All the way up through the time of the Reformation and beyond. And friends, it is an issue even today, is it not? We are tempted to think that what really matters about the kingdom of God, about His church, about His people and His worship is those external things. Those outward things, the appearance, the numbers, the church attendance, the money in the bank, the buildings, or, or the lifestyle, the outward displays of morality, those things that can be seen and quantified with human eyes, those we're tempted to think are what really matters. And sometimes in our day, you see that in very crass ways, I think. I mean, you'll see churches and denominations, I mean, literally boasting about baptisms boasting about attendance, boasting about the amount of money spent on this or that uh, regard. I mean, some churches, friends, today, I mean, they will, send a, they, will, they will send a press release to the local paper to announce how much money they have given to this or that uh, service this year. But I do think that while we see that very crassly done, in some corners of Christianity, I think there are more subtle ways that it can be something that we should be watching out for here in our midst. I mean, isn't it, isn't it easy sometimes to judge the health of the church by the number of people that are sitting in the pews? If we'll be honest. Isn't it, isn't it easy to judge the health of the work of God by, by what our, our, our budget looks like in our bottom line? Would we be satisfied if the pews in this room were filled to overflowing? Even if people weren't really praying? Would we be satisfied if we had more than enough money in the bank, but the lives of the people of God uh, were not becoming increasingly holy and depending upon Him more and more? Is it just the outward things that we're looking at? Or is it those inward things, the matters of the heart, the matter of faith? I think that when we look at one another, when we look at our own children, it's very easy uh, to fall into this same trap and this corrupted view of Christianity. To look at our own kids and to think what really matters is their behavior. Are they, are they you know, doing what they're told? Are they minding their P's and Q's? Are they keeping their nose clean? And we forget that really it is a matter of the heart that we're talking about. Is there a new creation there? Or is there just an obedient child that doesn't get in my way? That's a significant question, I think. To be asking about them, to be asking about each other, to be asking about ourselves. Are we judging by externals? Or are, are we really caring about the heart and the new creation? Friends, if if over the next 10 years, if God did not add a single additional person to the membership of this church, but the people who are members of this church became significantly more holy and trusting in the Lord and leaning on Him and depending on Him and seeking Him in prayer, if He matured us substantially, that would be a glorious work of God. And there would be a bright gospel light here on this hill. 
We cannot judge by externals. We have to look at the heart. That's part of the point that Paul is making here. In the end, the outward counts for nothing if it is not an indication of an internal truth. And we must remember that the Lord may bless us with more people. He may bless us with numbers that can be quantified. But are those people new creations? Are they trusting in the Lord? Are they pursuing Him and being matured? Are they like a tree planted by streams of water? We should judge with right judgment here. So that's the first point that I want to make, this distinction between false and true. There is, there is the external emphasis of false Christianity, the Judaizers. There is the internal emphasis of Paul, what really matters, a new creation. The second point I want to make is that we see in Paul's explanation here that false Christianity is a seeking of self-exaltation, whereas true Christianity is willing to submit to self-denial. False Christianity is always seeking self-exaltation, whereas true Christianity is willing to submit to self-denial. These Judaizers that came in and undermined the message that Paul was preaching and were so zealous to have people submit to circumcision, why were they doing that? What was their motive? Well, Paul tells us in verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Their desire was to impress others and to avoid difficulty and trial themselves. We're living in a, they were living in a time here where there was this broader uh, Jewish community that was looking at this fledgling church that had been started, that was looking to these Old Testament Scriptures and claiming Jesus Christ to be the Messiah. And one of the ways that these Judaizers had discovered that they could, they could sort of have it both ways, they could... They could go and, pre and preach something of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but still retain the praise and recognition and respect of that larger Jewish world was to, to demand that the law of Moses be submitted to, including circumcision. And in fact, in some quarters, this was, this, this was so strong that somebody could be, would be persecuted for turning away from the law of Moses. And these folks were protecting their own hides by demanding that circumcision uh, be obeyed by all those that called on Christ. They were, they were motivated, Paul points out, by gaining the approval of others and wanting to enjoy a good reputation. They were, they were using their religion as a means of personal gain in that way. And their religious activities were a ground for boasting. Now you contrast that with the Apostle Paul in verse 14. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. As opposed to the Judaizers that would, that would boast in the circumcision that they'd preached to you and enforced upon you, boast in their works and in your flesh, Paul says, I'll boast in Christ only. And not only am I not seeking the praise of the world or protection from pain in the world, I, in fact, in Christ, have been crucified to the world. And the world crucified to me. For Paul, the world's opinion no longer mattered because of the cross. 
You remember in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? Then listen to this. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul says it is either or. These Judaizers, these folks preaching this false gospel, their desire was to please man. Their desire was to be praised. Their desire was to have the affirmation of the world around them. But Paul says, not me. It is Christ that I will boast in. And all because of the cross. When, when Paul says, I am crucified to the world and the world crucified to me, through Jesus Christ crucified, he does not mean that, I think, in some intangible, mystical way, but really practically. Remember, Paul has heard the gospel, and he has believed the gospel. He has looked to Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, dying for sinners, and Paul has understood and believed he is not there dying for his own sin, he is dying for mine. The one hanging on the cross, that is where I belong. That is where I should be if I were held accountable for my own sins. And, and Him, the Holy One, He's there dying on the cross in my place. What the cross says about Paul is, Paul, you deserve to die. And in fact, you would be dead. You would receive the full weight of the wrath of God in hell if it were not for Christ who interceded for you. What the cross says to Paul is that he is a sinner unworthy of grace, but God has a tender heart towards sinners and sent His own Son to die for them. And believing that has changed for Paul his estimation of the praise of the world. He sees who he really is at the cross. Someone who is not worthy of praise and esteem. Someone who is not worthy of, of being exalted by those around him. In fact, worthy of condemnation, and yet Christ has died for him. So now Paul says, what do, I, what do I care about pleasing the world? I have been crucified to the world, and the world has been crucified to me. And Jesus Christ, who died for my sins. Paul no longer cared for the esteem of the world. He was not interested in exalting himself. In fact, just the opposite was the case. He was willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. Look at verse 17 in Galatians chapter 6. Paul says, From now on let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I do think what he's referring to is those scars that were left by some of the trials in Paul's life that he endured for the sake of the gospel. Paul endured some significant persecution, some of which evidently left lasting marks on him in the flesh, and he calls them the marks of Jesus. Not only is Paul not exalting himself, but he is willing to suffer for Christ's sake. The Judaizers are the opposite. It was for their benefit only that they were doing what they were doing, what they could gain from it. And not willing to count the cost, they wanted to be delivered from any suffering like that. And friends, again, this has been a struggle in the church throughout the ages and even up till today. In the earliest days of the church, in Philippians chapter 1, you remember that Paul speaks about those who preach the gospel for selfish ambition. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul speaks, warns Timothy about those that would, that would want to be in the ministry and, and because they think that godliness is a means of gain for them. And again, that continues up through early church history all the way through the time of the Reformation and up until today. Today, as we're considering this letter written 2,000 years ago, these principles are very much at work corrupting the church in the form of the prosperity gospel, both overseas running rampant and here running rampant. The idea of cheap grace There are all the the benefits of the blessings of God and no cost at all. Now, it is true that the Lord Jesus paid the price for our salvation and justification by His own blood, and we do not contribute in any way to our justification before God. But friends, there is often a cost in the flesh to following the Lord Jesus. If you turn to Mark chapter 8, I'll read these familiar words to you once again. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he, that is the Lord Jesus, said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. I do think that this mark of true and false Christianity, false being the desire to exalt oneself and use religion for that purpose versus in true Christianity, the the, the willingness to submit to self-denial and suffering, I think that 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 mark of true and false is is on a a little bit of a, there's a resurgence happening right now in our society. For for a long time now, uh, here in the United States of America, Identifying oneself as a Christian did contribute uh, in some ways to a good reputation that you might have among your neighbors. There were real benefits in that regard. You could exalt yourself in that way by claiming affiliation with Jesus Christ. But I think that we all recognize that that is rapidly changing and increasingly is no longer the case to uh, affiliate ourselves with Jesus Christ, to recognize the Scriptures to be true and everything the Scriptures say to be true. Everything the Scriptures say about gender and about sexuality and about marriage, about creation and the origin of the universe and the origin of our species. To agree with everything that the Scriptures say about the reality of hell the exclusivity of Jesus Christ and His atoning sacrifice. To to agree with those things and hold on to those things is not going to make you popular among your neighbors. It's not going to help you advance at work. It's going to make people think that you're a crazy person. There are a great many blessings that come in this life from being with Jesus Christ. Fellowship in the church here is an example. Oh, but friends, praise from the world is not one of them. The respect and admiration of the world is not one of them. We know that. We see it in the Scriptures. We see it in church history. We're beginning to feel the edges of it now. We must believe that it's true. 
It is important for us to remember, friends, that when the going gets tough in that regard, it's not because something is wrong, but rather this is a mark of true discipleship of the Lord Jesus. Many of our brothers and sisters bear the marks on their bodies right now, as Paul did, around the world. And if we are truly His, crucified to the world and the world to us, we will bear the marks of Jesus in one way or another. Now, that's the second thing. The first thing, false Christianity is the the priorities on the externals. True Christianity, it is the new creation, it is the heart, the new reality of the new birth that matters. The second thing, Christianity, false Christianity, is about the exalting of self, the the protecting of self, personal benefit is the motive at the end of the day, whereas true Christianity is willing to suffer and submit to self-denial. And now the third point I want to make, and this is the last one, false Christianity is essentially a human work, whereas true Christianity is a divine work. Circumcision that the Judaizers had been enforcing on those in Galatia was not just an outward sign, and in their their case, a hollow sign used for personal gain, but it was also a very human sign. It was a work done by human hands. It was something that you could force on someone, something that you could do yourself. And this was significant, you remember, because the Judaizers saw the, the death of Jesus Christ as insufficient. They were teaching the church, they were preaching this gospel, here's what you've got to do to make yourself acceptable, to make yourself justified, and and doubly so because they were forcing it on others for their own benefit. The Judaizers' religion was essentially about what they were doing and what other people should be doing. Now, contrast that with Paul in verse 14. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will boast in their works, in their flesh, in your flesh, and I will boast in Jesus Christ and His death on the cross for me. Paul says, I'll boast only in the cross of Christ. Which, by the way, what did Paul have to do with the cross of Christ? Was he even there? No. That was a work done before Paul was involved. Same with us, friends. A work done for us before the beginning of our lives. The cross of Christ, the fact that Jesus Christ Himself came and bore our sins, bore Paul's sins on His own shoulders and called all to trust in Him. The work that Christ did to atone for sinners, this is what Paul would boast in. Not in what he himself had done. His confidence was not in what he was doing, but rather in what had been done for him. I think this is the heart of it, and this is a real important distinction to make. False Christianity, a corrupted Christianity like what was being preached in Galatia and what is rampant today, is all about getting a response Getting a response to praise of man. Getting a response from God being justified. True Christianity, genuine discipleship and faith is about a response to what He has already done. You see the difference? The false is about getting a response. The true is done in response to what He has done. 
Uh, let me I'll briefly illustrate this way. Um, and I've, I think I've used this illustration before, but I'll use it again. Um, I love my wife very much. Uh, and I, I like to express my love for my wife in various ways. I do so differently now than 15 years ago when we were first getting married. Because 15 years ago, I was, I was trying to get her to love me when we were dating. I was, trying to, I was trying to get her to see me as worth getting hitched to. So a lot of my expressions of love to her were about getting her to do something. It is very different today. She has been so faithful to me. She's been so good to me. She's loved me so well for 15 years. When I express my love to her now, it is not trying to get her to do anything. It's a response to what she has done. Now, that's the difference between false and true Christianity here. This false gospel of the Judaizers and the true gospel being preached by Paul that was preached by Jesus. It's not a work that we are doing, a human work trying to get God to do something or get people to praise us. It is our response to a work that God has done, something He has done all on His own for our benefit. This has always been a struggle in the church. We can look at some texts where it's demonstrated, but I'll just say whether or not the gatherings of God's people are, are rituals for religious benefit or whether they are worship to the God who saved them. This has always been an issue in the church. True Christianity is not about you and me in that regard. It is, it is not about what we're supposed to be doing ultimately. It is about Him and what He has done. It is about a response to Him. The question for us as we think about ourselves, I mean, all of you all came here this morning. Nobody... I mean, maybe some of the littler ones you were drug here, but most of you came by your own volition. You came here. Why did you come here? Did you come here to accomplish something? Or did you come here because Christ has accomplished something for you? Do you see what I mean? Are we here in response to a divine work? Or are we here because we feel obligated to do a human work in order to get a response from God? That kind of false Christianity puffs up. Look at us in our life. Look at us in our worship. Look at us in what we know and what we do. Whereas the true gospel that Paul preaches, it does humble. Look at what he has done for me. Look at how he has blessed us. Look at how he has kept us. Friends, these are the true marks of Jesus on the church. The true life with Christ. It is an emphasis on the internal. It is the internal, the new creation that matters. It is willing to sacrifice and deny self rather than exalt self, trusting in Him. And it is focused on Christ and His work. The work He accomplished on the cross, not what we are accomplishing here. Paul closes his letter with this call that the Galatians tell the difference between the true and the false. Verses 16 through the end of the chapter here, this is his, his blessing on them. As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, brothers. Amen. And then in between those two, there is this, this personal appeal. Stop giving me a hard time. I bear on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. 
Stop accusing me of being a false teacher. I walk with the living Christ. You walk with Him too. That's what Paul writes with these big letters at the end of this epistle. And friends, I think that we ought to consider that as a church. We've studied this letter in great detail over the last year and a half. Do we bear these marks? Not necessarily the marks of persecution in the flesh like Paul did. But do we bear these marks of what he says is the true faith in which God's people are called to walk? Those who really follow Jesus. Are we more concerned with the internals and the reality of the heart and the new birth than about all the externals that can be quantified and put on spreadsheets? Do we care more about the heart and real spiritual vitality? Are we here today and seeking Christ and aligning ourselves with His church not to seek our own personal benefit and exalt ourselves, but rather we are doing so willing to make sacrifices even, endure some suffering for our Lord because He's bought us for a price. And are we here, friends, as a church to accomplish something in our own strength by human effort? Or are we here as a grateful response to what Christ has already accomplished for us? To walk in faithfulness, not to earn our own righteousness, but because we love Him who has died for our souls. I think you see these marks most clearly in the Lord Jesus Himself. His concern was for the heart and not the externals, wasn't it? He was not interested in self-exaltation in His earthly ministry, but rather He was willing to suffer that the will of God be done. And in the end, all of it was for the glory of His Father, wasn't it? The work that God would do in raising Him from the dead. He has called us to walk with Him. And it is good to walk with Him as His disciple. He has given us much grace. So friends, as we close this letter, let's examine ourselves and let's also pray that Grace Church, this congregation, that we would more and more and more bear these marks of the true church, true disciples who care about what matters and walk in step with our Lord. Now, let's, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Thank you for the good gifts that you've given to your church. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter. Thank you for the inspiration by which Paul penned these words to the Galatians. Thank you, O oh God, for preserving your word for us. And thank you for teaching it to us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that applies these words to our hearts and works real spiritual life in us. O oh God, thank you. Be renewing our hearts and our minds, we pray, according to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.